0: Well, kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. And for the rest of us, let's take our Bibles. We will turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, we'll be looking at verses 16 through 28, just like in the Scripture reading. You know, many people grapple with the idea of death because of sin. I mean, doesn't that seem just a little bit extreme? They think that God could just look at sin and sort of give it a pass. See, what we do is we sort of identify certain sins as worse than others, and certainly from the standpoint of the way they impact other people's lives, some do impact other people more profoundly than others. But that's because we're sinners, so we look and we say, well, what they did is worse than what I do, so therefore, my sin isn't as bad. God is sinless. So any sin is an offense to His holy character, His holy nature. Now let me ask you something. We've just seen an atrocity this week. A man planned the murder of as many people as he could take out, even setting a bomb in his own apartment so that someone would go in there and be murdered as well? What if the judge were to look at that man and say, you know, it wasn't really that bad. We'll just overlook it this time. Go and try not to do something like that again. Would we view that judge as just? Only a person who's completely twisted would say that that judge did a just thing. We all have a sense of justice and the idea that punishment should follow something that's wrong. If we as sinful people have that sense of justice, how much more does a holy God... God sees sin as an atrocity. It's an affront to His holy character and His holy nature. So when we sin, it is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And we need to understand that. That's why death is the requirement for sin. And this began as far back as the book of Genesis. When Adam was created... God said this to Adam. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are to eat free from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. Death would be the result of sin. God had one requirement of man. And what did man do? Went against what God had set as a moral boundary. And before he ever did it, he was warned death would be the result of that sin. Now, thankfully, God recognizes that we are all plagued by sin. And even in the book of Genesis, God made a way for that sin to be addressed. In the book of Genesis chapter 3, just one chapter later, it says this, God is speaking to the serpent, and we know that that serpent is identified later in the word of God in the book of Revelation as Satan. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. Now, this is one who was promised by God to come and deal with the work of the evil one. And then it says, and you shall bruise his heel. Many Bible scholars believe that that's referencing the cross where Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin. So here sin brings about death and even at creation God made a provision for that sin that man committed. The scripture is amazing when we look at its continuity. When we see that there is a thread, a theme that goes through Scripture, that God conquers sin through death. And we now know ultimately that death would be the death of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Now as we come to this Hebrews passage, the writer of Hebrews is continuing to deal with the issue of sin and how sacrifice conquers sin. For a couple of chapters, he has been talking about the importance of sin being dealt with in God's way, ultimately by the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. When we looked at the first half of the ninth chapter, what we saw was a discussion about the superiority of Jesus' sacrifice. And how Jesus, by shedding His blood for us, would obtain eternal redemption for us. So as we come to the 16th verse, the writer of Hebrews wants to continue this theme. This morning we want to see why blood, which represents ultimately death, is essential to God's dealing with sin, whether it's the Old Covenant, which would be the Old Testament, or the new covenant, which would be the covenant that was put in place by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we want to see the importance of why we as sinners need that blood applied to us and our sin in order to be right with God. So first, let's look at this passage and examine the 16th and 17th verses. When we read this passage... We want to ask ourselves, why was the blood important to the Old Covenant? Why all the sacrifice? Why all the animals that gave their lives to cover the sin of a people who constantly went outside God's moral boundaries? Why does the Bible talk so much about sacrifice? What is its importance? What is it saying? We come to the 16th verse... And the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that the old covenant was very much like an agreement or a will. And notice what the scripture says right here in the 16th verse. In the case of a will, it is necessary to, bro- to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. Now, what's the point that the writer of Hebrews is making? What he wants us to understand is this, that a will only takes effect after someone dies, and we've all seen testimony to that. If someone dies, you have to take a birth certificate and you have or death certificate and show that this person has indeed died in order to continue through the probate process and receive the inheritance, the promises that were made in that will. That's the point that the writer of Hebrews is making right here in this text. This is what God did with the Old Testament by the sacrifice of these animals, which looked forward to the ultimate sacrifice that would be Jesus Christ. Do you recognize that each time an animal was sacrificed in the Old Testament, that it was a picture of Jesus' sacrifice for us? Think about this. An innocent lamb being taken to an altar and killed on the altar. We would look at that and we would be appalled, especially the animal lovers in us. And that was the very purpose of that statement. Sin and its consequences should appall us. We should look at sin and the terrible things that sin brought and find it to be grievous, find it to be hurtful. And that very real picture was something that looked forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but also it was through the blood of that sacrifice that the Old Covenant was put into place. And that's the point that this writer is making. Ultimately, Jesus' sacrifice sets all of this into motion. Paul says this in the book of Colossians. God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Now this is referring to Jesus Christ. And it says, Through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. In other words, everything is put in its proper place through Jesus Christ. And notice it says this, Whether things on earth or things in heaven, and then finally this last statement making peace through His blood shed on the cross. What puts everything in its right place, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When it says making peace through His blood, it refers to peace as far as our relationship with God when we trust Christ and His blood. But, you know, peace has much more than the idea of absence of conflict. The Hebrew word for peace carries with it the idea of wholeness, of being all that it should be. That's the idea of peace. So this passage is saying that it is the blood of Jesus Christ that makes everything what it should be. For those who respond by faith to Jesus Christ, it is our salvation. For those who reject The idea of Christ's blood and the necessity of that sacrifice, it is their condemnation. That's the idea of this text. Everything is put into its proper perspective by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, when the writer of Hebrews is talking about this will being put into effect, what he's talking about is this that those sacrifices that would look forward to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ were put into the place. It established the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the law, all that's contained in that first part of our Bible. But then the text goes on. And as we continue at verse 18 and following, what we find is this. Moses used blood to dedicate the earthly sanctuary, the tabernacle. Now let's review for a moment. As we've gone through the book of Hebrews, we've seen that there was an earthly tabernacle. This is a replica of that tabernacle that was established by God. All of the dimensions, everything about it, the measurements, the design, all of it handed directly from God to man. And there was a reason that God was so specific about this earthly tabernacle. The book of Hebrews reveals to us that it is a copy of the heavenly tabernacle. That all of that specification had a purpose. And that purpose was, it was a picture of what truly exists in heaven where the blood of Jesus Christ would be applied for your sin and my sin. But when Moses built that earthly tabernacle, according to the Word of God, he had to do something. He had to take the blood of a sacrifice and consecrate it to God. Look at verse 18. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet, wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and the people. So there was a mixture of blood and water and what Moses did was he took some of these implements, the hyssop or the wool, dipped it into it and shook it on the people. And that was symbolizing the idea that they would be covered by blood for their sin. But you know, there was a second purpose for this sacrifice and this image of blood. And you know what that purpose was? The tabernacle was in the midst of the camp. It was surrounded by sinful people. Sinful hands. Crafted all of the things that pertain to the tabernacle. Do you know what the blood did as far as sprinkling on the tabernacle itself and all of the implements of the tabernacle? It consecrated that to God. And what do we mean by consecrate? What it means is it dedicated it for His service. It cleansed it. It purified it from the sin that was around it. This, again, was a very visual reminder to the people of how sin taints things, how sin can defile even something that is good. And blood needs to cover that. You know, there are a lot of people who will look and they'll say, hey, I've done the things that God has told me to do. Yeah, I've missed a few things, but by and large, I keep what God tells me to do. I I follow His commandments for the most part. In the Old Testament, they followed God's direction specifically, but sin still defiled the work of their hands. And there's an important message in this for us. Even though 60%, 70% of the time, 80%, even if you go 99% of the time, you follow God, when you disobey, you have defiled the other things that you've done. And it needs to come under the blood. That's the reminder that we find here from the book of Hebrews. And that's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to grasp in its fullness. In the book of Exodus, we find this in speaking of what Moses did. He sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant of the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. So it was a dedication of the people. It was a dedication of the tabernacle. It was a way for them to be consecrated, set apart unto God. And you know, I can't help but think that there's a message in this for us as believers just as the blood of the covenant in the Old Testament set people apart for God. The blood of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, has set us apart for God as well. We have a responsibility to live for Him. We have a responsibility to obediently reflect the standards that God has set for us we're not going to hit it 100%. I don't, you don't. But we're to strive toward that. And we're to understand in the areas where we fall, where we stumble, we have a loving, holy God who provided sacrifice to cover those sins. So we come to the 22nd verse. We find that the shedding of blood is an important part of our faith as well as the faith of the Old Testament. And I want you to see what the Scripture says here in verse 22. The Scripture says this In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And then look at this statement Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In the Old Testament, We've seen in previous weeks that the sacrifice, the blood that was shed by these sacrifices covered their sin until the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, would come and shed His blood to forgive the sin. And there's a difference between covering and forgiving. Jesus' blood covers and forgives. The blood of those sacrifices just covered, put them on hold until they could be paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And let me say this, any teaching that diminishes the importance of Jesus' blood shed for us is false teaching. The Scripture stresses its importance. And that's what we'll see as we continue through the rest of this text. When we come to verse 23, the writer starts to transition from his discussion of the Old Covenant and how blood was necessary to get that into motion. And he brings us to the New Covenant. And he shares with us how the way into God's presence was opened by the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. So the things built by man, the things that were designed to reflect the true place of sacrifice in heaven where the blood of Jesus Christ would be applied. The writer says, look, if sacrifices put these things into effect, how much more are the heavenly things purified that is set apart for God by a sacrifice better than these. What he's saying is this. Look, if animals could make the sin that people committed and the death that was required because of their sin be put aside, how much more does the sacrifice of the Son of God who took on human flesh and shed His precious blood for us On the cross, how much more does that bring us into the presence of God? Think about this. The heavenly sanctuary was in the very presence of God. When Jesus Christ applied his blood to that heavenly mercy seat, it was right before the holy God who saw this and purified everything through the blood of Jesus Christ. What the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand is the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. But he also wants us to understand it is through that sacrifice that not only Christ was able to gain entrance into God's presence after taking upon Himself the sin of the world, but because Christ comes into the presence of God through Christ, we can come into the presence of God as well. And here's why. When we are in Christ, that is, when we have a personal relationship with Him, when I by faith say to God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to bring me forgiveness of sin, when I come to that place, the Bible speaks of us as being in Christ. And so what is true of Christ becomes true of us as far as His ability to go into God's presence. That's a profound thought when you think about it. That's why it's important for us to understand it's not the things that I do that gives me access to the presence of God for all eternity. It is what Jesus Christ did, that better sacrifice, that brings me into God's presence The writer of Colossians said this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And here's the reason. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Because Christ has access to the Father We have access to the Father. That's why Jesus could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is through Jesus Christ that we come into God's presence. Secondly, why did Christ's blood secure salvation for us? It's because He won the victory over sin once and for all by His blood. Look with me at verses 25 through 26. Verse 25 says, Nor did he, again speaking of Christ, enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Now if you remember in the Old Covenant, annually the priests had to go in and apply blood to the mercy seat that was in the earthly sanctuary. Every year. Over and over and over again because it wasn't sufficient to forgive sin once and for all. But Jesus Christ is different. Jesus Christ offered His blood on the cross to deal with our sin, to bring forgiveness from the Father, to open the way for us to come into His presence, not over and over and over again, but once and for all. In fact, what the Scripture teaches is this, that the blood of Jesus Christ covers Old Testament and New Testament once and for all. He doesn't have to annually submit to death because that one act of sacrifice, the shedding of His blood, the death that was the result of Him shedding His blood, made us right with God. This is an important truth for us to grasp. It is through the death of Jesus Christ. And by the way, when I talk about blood of the sacrifice or the blood of Jesus Christ when He sacrificed Himself for us, it's not just the blood, it's the idea that death is the payment for sin. You see, when the animal sacrifices were given... They didn't just let off a little bit of blood from that animal and send it on its way. The animal died as it shed its blood. When Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, listen, he didn't swoon, get placed into the tomb, resuscitate, and walk away. He died. Scripture says he gave up his spirit. So it is death that makes us right with God. And so what the Scripture teaches us is this. The death that we deserve because of our sin, Jesus took upon Himself. Every time we see in Scripture that it talks about His shed blood, it's stressing the idea of death. That Jesus died for you and for me so that we could be made right with God. Christ did not have to suffer many times since the beginning of the world. But look at verse 26. He has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Could it be any clearer? Once and for all. We can add nothing to it. We can take nothing away from it. But His sacrifice... The sacrifice of His life for us is a sacrifice that does away with sin. You know the Greek word that is translated with does away with sin? It's an interesting word in the original language. It means it voids it. It means that it regards it as nothing. Its claims are no longer valid toward us because Jesus sufficiently pays for it with His blood. Final thought. Christ's blood secures our salvation, but it's not just something that happened in the past. There's a future that we need to look to as well. Would you look with me at verses 27 and 28? Now, verse 27 shares with us an important concept. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. We're going to pause there with that thought for a moment. All of us will face physical death, and we don't know when. But God has a time appointed for us. That's the teaching of Scripture. When we look at our own life experience, we see young and old, healthy and sick. Many people die in the prime of their life. Many die before they've even started life. Many die at the end of life after terrible suffering. But death is a common denominator. Physical death catches us all. But what we need to understand, according to God's Word, is this. Death isn't the final equalizer. Because there is something that happens after death, and that's judgment. Now, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus took that judgment upon Himself. It's often said, you can face Jesus Christ as Savior, or you can face Him as judge. And what the Scripture is telling us is this, for those who do not accept the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there's death and then judgment. You see, we have a couple of options. If we want to approach God and say, these are the things that I've done to earn your approval... God will give us the opportunity to do that. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, John writes that there are those who will be judged by what they've done. So God says, if that's the way you want to stand before me and be judged, I give you that option, I give you that opportunity. But here's what we we, we must realize. Being judged in that way, the standard is perfection. Perfection. And none of us can attain that. So there is death and there is judgment. Thank God that Jesus Christ saved us from that judgment where we're judged by what we've done. Thank God in Jesus Christ we are judged by what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. When He became our substitute, took our sin upon Himself and cleansed us, forgave us for that sin. Look at the last part of that 28th verse. Verse 28 goes on to say this, He's going to appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Here's what the Scripture teaches. We were just talking about how the blood of Jesus Christ spares us even from judgment. And these are Christ's own words. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Now, the word condemned also means judged. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, it's not a thing where people reject Jesus and they become condemned, it's the idea that they're condemned already. And it is only by finding a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that they pass from death to life, from condemnation to forgiveness. And that's what God wants us to understand. But even that isn't the end of the story. We're closing with the last part of this passage where it says this. Jesus Christ is going to appear a second time not to bear sin. Now, why isn't Jesus going to appear again to bear sin? Once and for all. When he died on the cross, he took care of man's sin once and for all. So he's not coming again to bear man's sin, but look at the last part of this. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, many of us might look at this and say, now, wait a minute, I thought when I trust Christ as my Savior, I'm already saved. As far as your position with God, you are absolutely already saved. You have passed from death into life. But experientially, as far as the things that I do day to day, I still sin. When Jesus Christ comes again, my experience is going to catch up with my position. And God is going to transform us so that we're no longer bound by sin as far as our experience. We're freed from it as far as God is concerned when we trust Christ as our Savior. But when Christ returns, the two will become one and the same. And that's something to look forward to. As believers, we have a challenge from God's Word to think like those who believe in the return of Jesus Christ. And it's found in the book of Romans. These words are particularly powerful in our generation because it says this, And this due understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Now look at this next statement. Because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Do you know what it's talking about? The return of Jesus Christ. Now if... Paul wrote this in the first century. The return of Christ, our salvation, is nearer than when we first believed. We're 2,000 years past that. So Christ's return is even nearer today. And then he makes this statement. This shouldn't just be a theological concept. We shouldn't just look and say, yeah, Jesus is coming again, and go on and live life not really worrying about it. Look at what the Scripture says. It's time for us to wake up from our slumber. For many Christians, we look at the blood of Jesus Christ and we're thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. But we settle in to complacency and almost a spiritual slumber. We're sleepwalking through life spiritually. And what the Word of God says is, wake up. Then look at verse 12. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, live differently than those around you. All around us, for people who do not believe in Jesus Christ, there's darkness. If I, as a child of light, live like the children of darkness... Am I looking forward to Christ's return? You know, my mom laid an idea on me when I was a kid that I've thought about as a young child and as an adult. Would you want to be doing that when Christ returns? Do You want to be found in whatever activity you're in when Christ returns? how would you like to go through eternity? So what were you doing when Christ returned? Well, you know, I don't want to talk about it. We as believers should reflect a difference. We should be children of light, not doing the deeds of darkness. And look, he gets pretty specific when he goes on in verse 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. And then he uses some words that it's hard for us to believe is in the Bible. Not in orgies and drunkenness. In other words, not going around partying and carousing, bar hopping, whatever. You know, that's what the, the people in darkness do. Live differently. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Now look at the last two. Not in dissension or jealousy. Oh, you had to throw those in. Instead of that, we're to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and not think about how to gratify the desires of our sinful nature. Listen, Christ is coming again. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him, and that is secured for us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you are a child of God, the blood of Jesus Christ has delivered you from condemnation, but the blood of Jesus Christ has also purchased you, and you are Christ's possession. So what the Scripture encourages us to do is live in light of that truth. Don't just have that as a theological idea that's just bouncing around with no relevance. Understand that Jesus Christ's blood secures your forgiveness, makes you right with God, and it should change the way you live and think. That's the point of this passage. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this text. and We thank You for the reminder